The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Giudice. Welcome to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're listening to Extra 106.3. If you have legal questions or you have something legal going on in your personal life, they can help you. Bruce? Yeah, it's great to be here again today. It's Bruce Hagan, H-A-G-E-N. You can call me anytime, 404-522-7553. Email address, bruce at hagen-law.com, and hagen-law.com is the website. Happy to help with anybody's personal injury claims, or happy to just talk about and maybe give you a recommendation for whatever your legal needs might be, even if it's something that I don't personally handle. Being a practicing lawyer in this town since 1986, we've met quite a few people and really know the best of the best, and so rather than just have to find somebody for yourself out of the blue, just reach out and get in touch and happy to connect you to some of the best people in town. And to that point, you had a caller over the weekend call because we had talked about Wills and and, and you were able to direct her. Exactly right. We did a show last week. We talked about Wills in the context of the uh, Zappos founder Mm -hmm. who died with his $840 million estate and no will. One of our listeners heard that story and decided to call because she wanted to get her estate planning in order. Happy to talk her through the whole thing. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Let's talk about you, Ray. How do we get a hold of you? Well, real easy. I'll give you my cell number. 404-964-4100. The office is 404-554-8800. The website is rayjudicelaw.com. I've been practicing here since 1985 in Metro Atlanta. Emory Law School grad. Was a prosecutor in DeKalb County for a couple of years. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I loved being in court trying cases every day practically. Uh, Decided to open up my own firm in 87 and have been doing it since then, representing folks, citizens charged with crimes. There you go. And the same thing. I'm about, actually, to meet with a client today, and we're going to bring in a third, another lawyer uh, who's a domestic law specialist because there may be a divorce coming out of this incident. Best of the best guy and guy I went to law school with is from Buffalo, New York, and he's going to do a great job. We're going to work hand-in-hand on this case. I need to understand this. So if a non-citizen approaches Ray with a criminal matter, does that mean he's not going to take that case if they can afford his services Well, I'd like to, as long as those folks are... Citizens wanting people wanting to be citizens are here legally most of the time. I have represented folks who are not here with good papers. It creates an enormous amount of problems. And what I try to do there is bring in an immigration lawyer to see if we can straighten that problem out. Is that something that can be resolved? Right. Are they eligible for citizenship or to be here legally? I try to address that because that status makes the criminal case so difficult. And it also puts such a challenge because under the law, if it's a felony, it's another deportable offense. If it's a crime of moral turpitude, it's a deportable offense. And it could be incarceration and then deportation, the worst of of both worlds. Um, And it does raise a point that we're going to talk about later in the show over what sort of information is allowed to be presented to a jury and what isn't. And immigration status, uh, at least in the civil cases that I handle, is absolutely one of those things that uh, typically is not allowed to be presented, uh, certainly not in a personal injury claim, because people are treated with the same respect and rights, whether they're here legally or illegally. And a lot of people aren't happy about that, but that's the law. But don't you know that some of those insurance lawyers try to get that in front of a jury somehow, some way? Not only that, but even for folks who are here legally and are U.S. citizens but don't look it or sound like Mm -hmm. it, they try to create that perception in the minds of jurors who they think they can trigger uh, by making them think that this person should not be in the country. And then again, just one more thing that we trial lawyers have to worry about when we're selecting or striking a jury. Just just mere the mere appearance of our client, their their last name. Are they dressed in something, some outfit that perhaps has some cultural, uh, you know, challenges? In other words, where a jury in one of the outlying counties looks at somebody and says, "Well, they ain't from around here." Mm-hmm. Shortly after 9-11, I had a trial in Gwinnett County, and my client uh, was a very Arabic-looking person with an extremely Arabic-sounding last name that had Allah in his name. Um, He was uh, Christian. 
he was um, from Bethlehem, <laughs> and Bethlehem so, Georgia, and, and he worked in construction. And, was he and, a carpenter? They did framing, <laughs> and, and so I, I said to the jury, I said. My client in this case is a Christian man uh, who is a carpenter from Bethlehem. <laughs> Are any of you going to treat him more fairly or unfairly because of uh, his background? And you occupation? said that was during selection. Yes. Jury selection. Yes. Yeah, Very right. good. Did, Go right after. Was there right. at least a chuckle? A, a little bit. Yeah. People, well, it certainly made people uncomfortable because they knew that his name was something Allah. Uh, and this again, this was right in the aftermath sure, of 9/11. Sure. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, yeah what, what are you going to do? It, you don't want to ignore this. Uh, but at the same time, I want to make sure that, Hey, look, let's, let's take this person for who he is, not right. who you think he represents as, as you should, you should be, everything should be based on what the law says and what the, and, and, and what, what the facts, it, are, what the facts are exactly right. And, and yet so, we know better that that's we know not better. How it works. Yeah. Well, right. But it doesn't change the fact that it should though. Right. <laughs> Correct. You're, you're but it also goes to why sometimes I'll have somebody come up to me and start talking about a, a verdict that's been in the news and just, they're shocked. They don't understand how it could have turned out one way or another. And one of the cases we're going to talk about uh, today is, is how things that we lawyers and judges are trying to shape and frame the evidence that goes to the jury, which may be a lot less evidence or a lot less rumor or a lot less suspicion than the general public thinks or knows about or reads in the paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see where that would be completely different. And, and usually I, I don't... I try not to turn on the news at night to begin with. You lose IQ. So You'll but drop like five IQ if you watch yeah, the little It does feel that way. It <laughs> certainly feels that way. But, you know, and because and, I already know that the job of the news media is to generate ratings. And how do you do that? Well, you, you make people angry or you make them sad. You make them happy. There is a There is a tactic to it versus the facts that go along with the case, which is what you were just talking about. Yep. It's it's one of the things that drove me a little bit crazy about this uh, Facebook whistleblower uh, incident that came out this week and and the whistleblower's revelation that, you know, Facebook found that when people are angry about something, they spend more time uh, and uh, them spending more time on the platform leads to greater revenue from advertisers. I'm thinking... Isn't that all of media? Yeah, Isn't right. That That's kind every, of, what? There's right. gambling here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm shocked to I'm find shocked. this out, right? <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Is she a whistleblower or is she a thief of intellectual property and, yeah. and, pri- and violated? That's a great question. I look at her well, as a thief. Well, you can be both. Yeah, well, yeah, that know, is true. And, right. and, and, and she certainly came into possession of documents inappropriately as she was on her way out the door. Um, but that doesn't preclude you from being protected under federal whistleblower acts. Is she protected now? Do you know? I don't know the answer, so it's rhetorical. It, it, it really depends on who you ask. Yeah, you know. And, yeah. and so um, I saw the Facebook spokesperson continuing to reference that you know these illegally obtained materials uh, that are being referenced. So they and then feel like she's a thing. Oh yeah, that's and so. But but there is a, a, an act, and um, it, it you know the whistleblower protections typically are for companies that are bilking. Uh, the federal government, you know, and so somebody that's there um, ripping off taxpayers and you expose that, even if you came to that information, like you have a confidentiality agreement with your company, but you violate that agreement to expose this in a whistleblower action, you're protected mm-hmm. in, in that. I don't know if this falls into that category because at all. Because all she's trying to do, rightly or wrongly, is expose a business strategy, which is designed to make as much money as possible. Facebook hasn't broken any laws. They may have acted unethically in some ways. You may think that targeting young adults is wrong or selling cigarettes to young adults was wrong. But, you know, it wasn't a crime <laughs> until until there was until, legislation until was, passed, right. until it was. Well, look, Zuckerberg has come out to the this Senator Blumenthal, apparently, is the self-designated uh, intellectual of the of the Senate on uh, Internet and what's going on and said, go ahead, regulate us, please give us some guidance. Don't come up here and keep beating us up because you think, you know, Facebook is is as evil as uh, the communist China party. Well, they certainly allow they certainly allow anybody to advertise. Right. I mean, and including people that you may not want or may not think that they should be allowed to advertise. They started to come up with some restrictions in the wake of some uh, claims of false information leading up to the election. Um, Some of these Russian companies that were um, presumably trying to influence American elections. So they they started to come up with some parameters for who they would allow to advertise and some things that they wouldn't. But it's pretty scarce, and it's just totally self-imposed. There's there's no... Mm -hmm. um, 
FDA uh, oversight or I'm sorry, FCC oversight uh, or anything like that. You yeah. know, so uh, look, the, the the whole phenomenon sprung up very quickly. You know, of social media, and not surprisingly, the the regulators are slow to catch on. Um, similar to the way things are with developing intoxicants and drugs, you know, it's like you regulate something, and then the next thing you know, there's a variation of it that slips through the cracks. So it is it's it, still it, it can be really challenging because you're right, and we've talked about that before, uh, Ray, is the fact that social media. It, a lot of times, it, everything that you see that goes through the courts is all reactive, right, and and goes through Congress or or is addressed in Congress is all reactive, and when social media takes over and influences so many people so quickly it's everything's going to be a reaction at that point well you know just like in drugs the the specialists out there are reforming the chemical compound in lsd so in the in a criminal law statute the actual formula for many drugs is part of the law so to violate the law you'd have to have a drug that matches those molecular components and structure well what the geniuses the self the self-taught chemists do is they slightly alter the molecular comp- comp- composition of drugs, and it doesn't fall under the statute, but mm-hmm. it's still sold and used and consumed and has the same impact. So mm-hmm. crime is always two steps ahead of the law. There's a product out there right now called Delta-8 that is a form of THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana, uh, you know, cannabis, and, and yet it's a legal product because it doesn't fit the definition of, of the THC. things that have been banned yet it's just another offshoot and another way to get high and, and you know that it's it's slipping through the cracks when you see it available at places like CVS and uh, coffee shops and and pet stores I just think yeah. our federal government is is way too incompetent and too slow to possibly keep up with the technological changes I mean I, I bet there's some of those senators I, there's a couple that are using flip phones now, if you're well, listening, those are coming back. Those if you're listening back. and you have a flip phone, I don't mean it's to insult you. It's because they're just not traceable. That's why. That's yeah. right. They're, 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 they're burner, burner phones. phones. That's exactly phones. right. There's so much to talk about here. I mean, we could spend all day on it. Uh, this is your day in court uh, on Extra 106.3. My name is Doug Cowart. When we come back, we're going to talk about some changes in the Ahmad Aubrey case, some of the things that uh, that might be happening down there that we want to address and discuss with you next on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're listening to Extra 106.3. I want to get into some changes happening down in uh, South Georgia with the Ahmed Aubrey case. That is the, the case of the, uh, the the kid that was running uh, down the street and people in a pickup truck chased him down and ultimately killed him. And uh, so that that they're working through that trial now. But uh, what are some of the changes? What, what are some of the what's some of the new information that's coming out, Bruce? Yeah. And so basically what happened is that um, the defense wanted to introduce evidence related to Ahmad Marbury's prior 
mental state and, and treatment that he received for mental well-being. And the judge has ruled that that evidence will not be allowed in or, or that statement would not be allowed into evidence uh, because it would be prejudicial and unfair to bring that in front of a jury. And it really just highlights something that happens in every case, but particularly in the high profile cases where um, there are rulings that are made by judges prior to the case ever going to trial on what evidence will be allowed in and what won't. The public, they hear everything mm -hmm. and they know all this and they see everything swirling around the, the case, whether it's admissible at trial or not. But the 12 people who end up on the jury presumably are unaware of some of these outside things and are committed to focusing only on the facts presented at trial. And so they don't hear this other stuff that the public hears. And sometimes it leads to a, a perception that the ruling made by the 12 jurors who were there fulfilling their service is somehow inconsistent with the facts of the case, when the reality is they're making a ruling based on the evidence that is allowed in because it's been vetted by the judge as referee over what's fair and what's not, and they're not trying this case just based on the things that come out in the media or things that are out there that don't meet the standards required for admissibility into evidence. This happens in criminal cases all the time. It happens in civil cases all the time. There's also the concept that one of the reasons this was even brought up here is that defense lawyers are always looking for an issue to bring up on appeal if they lose at trial. And so the judge made a ruling on the case. Anytime a judge makes a ruling, that ruling is subject to being appealed by one side or the other. So if this case now goes forward and let's say that there is a verdict against these defendants, you will find an appeal on whatever issues could be appealed. One of them is going to be the judge improperly excluded this evidence uh, and it should have been allowed to go in front of the jury. And as a result, the trial was unfair and, and should be overthrown. So they've created an issue for appeal, anticipating that they might lose down the road at trial. Yeah, and this, this touches on so many issues that we've talked about in previous shows about jury selection, change of venue, sequestering a jury so they don't go home at the end of the day and then look up all the things that they were prohibited from hearing at trial that is on the intranet. And those are called pretrial motions, motions in limine, motions. You can't just spring this stuff out in the middle of a trial. You'd be held in contempt. It could lead to a mistrial. The judge will scream at you. Uh, so you want to clean these issues up, housekeeping chores, before the trial starts, or especially before you pick a jury so you know what evidence in good faith you can discuss and tell a jury you're going to present. So in this case, the, the uh, victim had gone to one apparently counseling session with a registered nurse, not an MD, not a psychiatrist, not a psychologist, wasn't prescribed any medications. The defense is trying to argue, hey, he's got something, had something going on in his head that made him super aggressive. That's why we had to exercise self-defense and, and what we consider to be reasonable force against an unarmed person. <laughs> it's a hard argument. Judge says, no, it's not coming in for various reasons. One, there's no evidence that he had any psychological predisposition to violence. And secondly, we're not going to poison the jury's mind with something that really isn't relevant. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so the, the consideration is, would the evidence be overweigh of, of a prior deed overweigh the evidence that we've got in this case at bar, the case that's in front of the jury? Uh, in the criminal law, the prosecution routinely tries to enter evidence of prior similar acts. It happens in two primary cases, domestic violence and DUI drug cases, where the prosecution tries to show that, yeah, okay, we're going to prove this DUI, probable cause and blood tests and all that. But ladies and gentlemen, the jury, he's had three priors on the same road in the same car on his birthday. I actually had that case. <laughs> you really yes, did? I did. I, did. Oh my I had a client who on his birthday went out and got liquored up and he got arrested three years, three in, a years in a row. Yeah, and well. the judge said, yeah, that shows a pattern. Mm -hmm. This is what he does. And we're going to allow those in to support the state's case. And that, mm -hmm. and you want to have that ruling before you go to trial so you know what evidence the prosecution can and can't use. But is there is there something that would be less obvious than that 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 might be interesting? It's a sliding scale. It's the the rule is does the prejudicial value, the prejudice to the case, is it outweighed? Does it outweigh the probative value? In other mm -hmm. words, is it helpful to the jury? Does it help them come to the right fair decision, or does it prejudice the defendant's right? 
to a fair trial. Mm -hmm. I I recently uh, entered a, well, (laughs) represented a gentleman that had to enter a guilty plea to a a very horrible sex offense. He had two prior similar sex offenses. The prosecution, we had a motion in limine, pretrial motion. The prosecutor wanted to use them as similar transactions. I said, Your Honor, I see how everybody in this room today is looking at my client. That's how a jury's going to look at my client in opening statement, and I will not get a fair trial for my client. That's the I didn't even put up any law. That's mm-hmm. all I said. Right. The prejudicial value to my client getting a fair fair trial outweighs is out, outweighs the probative value. They've got a good case. Let them prove it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Prosecutors hate to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes up in civil cases as well, uh, where folks have prior driving offenses or uh, other issues in their background that you know either we want to bring up to say that look, this guy's in habitual speeder and so it's not um uncommon or or, or out of the question that his speeding would have caused a crash here we might be able to get that sort of evidence in if someone has a history of it but it's unlikely and we would never get it in if the case that we were there in trial didn't involve speeding right Mm -hmm. like it said well you know it was a lane change situation right or or a rear end collision at a stop sign uh it's so unlike the speeding charge that who cares if he has six Previous speeding tickets. But, well, but does that not show, like, and this is a complete, uh, genuine question, do he, like poor driving skills? You, you like to emphasize it for that, but there again, so that's where the balance comes in and the weighing mm-hmm. of um, interest comes in that the judge does. Does this unfairly prejudice the defendant uh, in the eyes of the jurors? Is this information that the jury is entitled to know about and, and the probative value of the information? In other words, the, the ability of that information to lend some assistance to the jury in reaching a decision outweighs the prejudice to the defendant. And, and we always take the position, who cares about the prejudice to the defendant? Just yeah. don't prejudice our client. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, want, we want a fair trial as long as it's fair to us. But, but yeah. uh, we were talking before the show about this. One thing that comes in a lot, too, about prior issues in personal injury cases, certainly, is your prior health condition. And it's really a slightly different issue here, but that's also the subject of pretrial motions frequently where um, one side is trying to keep out any reference to unrelated or what they see as unrelated prior medical conditions, and the other side wants to bring it into evidence. And and so the flip side of the speeding scenario is the person who's suing for injuries who's had three prior lawsuits for personal injuries or three prior personal injury claims. Um, if I make three prior personal injury claims claiming hip injury and leg injury and, and knee injury and ankle injury, what does that have to do with me now bringing this claim against this defendant for a shoulder injury or a head injury? Why should any of that be introduced mm-hmm. other than to try to paint me in front of the jury as somebody who is a serial filer and just abuses the system um, when that is such a prejudicial statement and not accurate because I've just one of those people who's had a string of bad luck. Right. Yeah. But what does the insurance defense folks do, the defense lawyers, when they're taking or you're taking your doctor's deposition for the low back injury that you rear-ended my client in the parking lot and my clients had two prior back injuries what we're not going to do is really ask about claims and insurance. We're going to focus on medical treatment. So, Doctor X, uh, you know your your patient has had a prior L5 S1 herniated disc, and then had surgery for that, and then she had a thoracic injury to her middle her T her T vertebrae. Would that impact you know her health and her condition? Is that those those injuries relevant to your? treatment and care and that's going to come into evidence that way yeah may not come into evidence about insurance policies and settlements but from the health issue and prior medical history does matter in those cases Mm -hmm. if the injury is at all related to it or or it could be seen as this is just a natural progression of a pre-existing condition right so especially with something like back or knee injury right where um you had this issue before it might have been a sports injury it might not even have been from from a wreck or anything but just a condition that caused a person to have to go to the doctor and then five years later they get in a wreck and now they're back at the doctor having invasive treatment like surgery the defense is always going to try to say well Doctor, isn't this just the natural progression of the pre-existing condition that you saw them for five years earlier? And that's fair game, you know? And, yeah. the, and so we counter that with lifestyle things like, hey, this person went snow skiing every year and uh, was in the gym and just completed a triathlon. And, you know, none of that 
uh, affected her over the course of the last five years, what makes you think this pre-existing condition just happened to spring up here, as opposed to the fact that they got rear-ended on this day and ever since have had these problems. So, so you know, it, it can cut both ways. And this is what we confront when we go to trial on a case. It's, yes, we have this case, the case, the auto accident of July 12th, you know, 1997. And, but, but we've got everything that happened before that can possibly come in and everything that's happened since then. Uh, back in the day, I would always tell my clients if I had someone on an injury case, if you walk out of your, your front door in the morning and you see a, a panel van, a white panel van parked on the other side of the street, Mm-hmm. It may be surveillance. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, you know, you, they try to get your client shooting baskets or changing oil in his or her car or picking up the kids or just carrying the like groceries. sounds like an episode of Matlock. It really used to happen yeah. a lot. But now people turn themselves in <laughs> because they take stupid selfies or they're taking TikTok videos or whatever, doing something really asinine, and the insurance defense lawyers find it and put it up on a big screen in front of the jury. We have clients who ask me, like, do I need to be concerned about uh, the insurance company sending out a private investigator to do surveillance on me? It's like, no, they don't do that anymore because you're going to give them everything that they need. And, and, and as much as we beg people to stay off of social media and just stay quiet, they can't help themselves. I had this one client, great guy, and... and, and a dream client in a lot of ways and had a terrible, terrible injury, but he was a uh, bike racer and, and, and he was very successful for his age group as, as uh, someone who raced bikes. And uh, he did a good job of not saying a word or sharing his race results or anything right up until the time that we had sent our settlement package to the insurance company. We we're on the brink of getting him a very large settlement for his serious injuries and, and sure enough, he comes out and says, first time back on the uh, race circuit, got a second place finish. Here I am on the podium. And he's posting a podium <laughs> picture on Facebook. And I call him up. I said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I, I, he says, yeah, but I finished second. <laughs> he's like, he says, the guy who beat me before this crash, I used to beat him by three, four minutes every race. I, I said, I just You're just killing me. Yeah. What are you going to do? You yeah, know? Right. I had oh, a client on probation for a, a DUI. Uh, she had a drinking problem, and the judge ordered her as a condition of probation not to consume alcoholic beverages. It's pretty standard. Uh, client went to Europe and posted something on, I think, Facebook of her at you know the Bavaria house in, in Berlin hoisting a 97-ounce <laughs> stein of beer. <laughs> and uh, like she was at a ball game. <laughs> her probation officer picked somebody, how found it, and took out a probation revocation warrant, and we had to go back in front of the judge. All right, so can I ask this question, and if you, you can plead the fifth if you need to. Do you have clients go in and cleanse their social media? Well, so that's interesting. Yes, we do. Uh, Ray and I cannot advise anybody to do that. Okay. Because that would be considered tampering with evidence. Yeah. Uh, and smart lawyers uh, will send notices to the opposition in cases that put a duty on them to preserve all social media and, and other evidence, phone records, photographs, whatever. Um, we can't advise anybody to take something off of their social media. Now, we can advise them going forward, do not put anything out there, right? Just stay off of it. You can certainly uh, advise people and what they should do anyway to uh, adjust their privacy settings so that the public cannot see what you're doing, only your friends or you know, mm-hmm. what you consider your social yeah, media friends can sure. see it. Um, and don't take in any new friends that you don't know. Like, mm-hmm. for example, you know, you see a picture of some hot dude or hot chick there in a, you know, asking you to be a friend. Don't just accept this random right. friend request that happened to come up uh, two months before you're going to Especially trial. Especially if there's only no mutual friends. No, no. Mutual that's our big, that's our yeah. big tip yeah. off. Yeah. Or, or uh, this is even worse. There are a couple of mutual friends, but they're the boneheads I know who would actually accept a friend request. <laughs> yeah, <like that>. right. <laughs> well, what Bruce is referring to is called a spoilation letter. Okay. And what a spoilation letter, spoilation letter is, don't spoil the evidence, preserve mm-hmm. it. So I, I recently settled, and I, I dabble in Bruce's world every once in a while. You talk about that DUI trial, so I'm going to talk about a PI case. A <laughs> uh, young lady visiting here in Atlanta slipped and fell on a flight of exterior steps, outdoor steps at a hotel, broke her leg. Uh, we immediately sent a spoilation letter to the owners of the hotel, the chain, and said, if you have any security video, you need to preserve it, okay? We got the security video, and what it showed was maintenance setting up a wet floor sign about an hour before my client came down the steps, and about 10 minutes before she came down the steps, somebody else moved the sign out of the way so it wasn't visible to her. She came down the steps, there was still moisture, she slipped and fell, broke her leg, and we settled the case. Now, what if we send a spoilation letter, and the, the 
operation, the hotel, didn't save the, the video. We found out that they had deleted it. Well, then there's a presumption that would go in front of the court and to the jury that that evidence that was not preserved was harmful. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful about pressing delete. Pressing delete may be worse than what's actually on the video, on the video or in the photograph. Almost always it would be worse. Just just like I tell my clients, look, we can recover from almost, almost anything everything. in your case except <laughs> you lying. Yeah. You know, um, because we can't recover from that. And, and, and personal injury cases, particularly where it, the injury is not 100% objective, meaning, you know, somebody has a broken femur, that's an objective injury. You're going to see that on an x-ray and you know what that implies in terms of pain, some of that. Somebody who complains of ongoing pain issues, it's usually not easily traced to anything objective like that. And it comes down to, does the jury want to believe you when you say you have this ongoing pain? So your credibility is paramount. It's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're lying about something else, why should a jury believe you about this critical issue of, of you talking about your pain? We had this one case for a guy who was an MMA fighter. And a uh, big dude, I, I mean, strong as an ox and, and huge. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, heavyweight MMA fighter. Yeah. And he came in and he testified under oath that after this neck injury he had, he could never fight again and he couldn't fight and he was unable to have any Make professional fights again and, and it ruined his career, right? Well, of course, he was lying. <laughs> he had fought and, and they not only knew that he had fought, there was video of it because uh, it had been recorded and, and, and posted you know, on Facebook. But, and, and posted on social media and televised on some minor, you can't write. So, so, you know, we're at the mediation, in this case, a settlement conference, and they're confronting us with, you know, hey, look. And you had no idea. Here's this. the video. I'm like, why did you lie about this stuff? He goes, yeah, I, sh- I know I should have told the truth. He says, but look at that. I had to tap out against that MF. And, and yeah. he's, like, he's like, I would have kicked his butt normally. And I said, you know, dude, that's all you had to say. I went back to, I tried. to MMA. I tried and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it as successfully. Because actually, Bruce, and you, you've done this, I know I have, evidence in an injury case that you tried to go back to work that you tried to perform your normal household duties. So again, there's the panel van with the video camera and you're hoisting the kid out of the car. You say, look, I had to take Junior to the doctor. That's why I did yeah, it. I, I, it hurt like hell when I did it. In the yeah. next three days, I was iced up and heating pad, but he was running a 104 fever and every lady on a jury shakes her head up and yeah. down and, and you and move on. No, but right. I had one of those exactly and, and they showed a client coming down the stairs, dressed up nicely, getting in the car, no serious problems. She's like, that was my daughter's fourth grade recital. She's like, she's like, I was not going to miss that right. day, right. Uh, and I spent the next three days in bed suffering from that, and, and, and I'm telling the jury, where's the surveillance of her struggling and crying in bed? Where's the surveillance of her you know, having to crawl back up the stairs to get back into her apartment? Yeah, they forgot that. They forget all right. that, right? right. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and then we cross-examined the guy who did the surveillance, who spent 18 hours to obtain the 20 seconds that they show to the jury, Yeah, right? So, so th- there are ways that it can backfire, but but to to the point we're making here is like if you just tell the truth, it, it's rarely going to be so problematic that we can't recover from it. Um, and particularly, Ray's a hundred percent right. A jury will respect somebody who tries their best and and tries to suffer through whatever the discomfort and pain is that life has hit them with, as opposed to the person who just gives up. Uh, you, you know, and um, this guy was just being too smart for his own good, despite my preparing him and and trying to thoroughly vet him you know uh, unfortunately i have clients who think they know more about this stuff than i do and they're going to outthink me uh even to their own detriment well i was honored to be an adjunct professor of litigation at emory law school for a number of years back in the 90s and early 2000s and third year law students four hour monday night seminar about a nuclear power plant accident and uh, i used to tell these young lawyers or wannabe lawyers be aggressive be passionate but don't be clever. Clever mm. clever gets you in trouble every time. So whether you're a lawyer or a client, don't try to be clever. Who was clever from Leave it to Beaver? What was Eddie Haskell? Oh, Eddie okay? Haskell. Right, Eddie yeah. Haskell was clever. Nobody that, liked Eddie Haskell. That, that, <laughs> yeah, that rubs that, people the wrong no, way. No one will know what you're talking about if you yeah. say that in law school now, right? Right. Right. nowadays. Yeah, definitely <laughs> not. But, uh, but, uh, but I understand that, though, because yeah, Eddie yeah. Haskell was always like, oh, my gosh, get me away from that guy. There's no way I'm buying anything that guy's selling. Exactly right. Yeah. 
What a lovely dress you have on today, Mrs. Cleaver. <laughs> yeah, right. What a what a great show, man. There's just don't, there's there's not shows like that on TV. Anymore. I think Eddie Matthews is is that the young man? Is that the Beaver? Jerry Matthews. Jerry, Jerry Mathers. Yeah. I'm so close. Yeah, yeah, baseball, yeah, baseball, Braves. Braves. Oh, you know, it's all yeah, that generation. Yeah. I think he tur- just turned like 75 or oh, something. Oh my gosh! Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it what just puts you you know you, you realize how many how how much things have changed and how many things have gone by because I would imagine in court. Some of that stuff is has has fallen by the wayside, oh, and then gosh. some things have. You know, oh gosh, yes. It's yeah. One of the arts of jury selection too is is you know you're going to get a cross reference of society, and it'll be elderly folks, it'll be folks your age, it'll be kids, you know, that are so young. And how do you tell a story in a way that everybody can relate to? Mm-hmm. Well, I do a little. Uh, 10, 12-minute spot every Friday morning at 8.20 on 680 The Fan with the locker room. All those guys in there are less than 40 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was practicing law before they were born. One and- of them in particular, uh, not to name names, <laughs> has has no frame of reference outside of sport. And, 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 you know, and he's proud of it, and it's fine, and they tease him about it. But but you can make any kind of reference to pop culture, current pop culture, Bam, and particularly They're good pop in there. culture of the... 90s, 80s, 70s, four okay. of them will get it, and yeah. one of them has no idea what you're okay, talking well, about. Well, I worked with that one for three years, so I know exactly who you're talking about. All you had to do was say that. And I love you, Hudson, but come on. <laughs> you know, pay attention. And, and like, I would I would inform him. I'm like, no, no, no. What you're missing is this was a great TV show, or that was a great movie reference. Go, go watch a movie. Yeah, <laughs> just right occasionally. Well, no, it's well good. the program director has scolded me a few times about making references to anything that occurred before, like, 1979. Yeah, right. Because yeah. it's just right over there. Right over there. And, you know, our buddies, Domino and Cellini, uh, constantly saying things and they just say google it yeah right <laughs> well because the, a lot of times that's what you gotta do man they, they, you know and, and it's so funny because i do this with my son and and we usually it usually comes up with music and he'll you know i'll be like this is a great song you should hear it and he's like when did that come out and i was like but, but that's the point is just because it came out a long time ago doesn't mean it's not good and you can't say it's not new because it is. It's new to you. And one and of the things, good. one of the things about trying a jury trial in front of the jury, making your closing argument, where you're allowed to be passionate and wander and a little bit off the off the track and make some analogies, you have to be really careful who your audience is. You really have to know. Of course, you did your jury wadir selection striking earlier, but age, race, sex, religion, all of those components are very relevant to wanting to tell a story, yeah. wanting to weave a story and work in maybe some of your background. Well, you know, I'm, I'm from Yonkers, New York. You're from right up the street, uh, man. I'm from the Bronx. Yeah. And, and it's especially true in today's world where almost anything you say is going to piss off somebody. That's, That's the other thing you know? you Because people are, are looking <laughs> right. for everybody's, something right. Everybody's looking about. for a way to be offended. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to be genuine to it. Like I had gone to a seminar and heard somebody speak uh, once about a technique in closing argument. And so when, as a young lawyer trying out new things, I said, I'm going to try this in my closing. And, and it was making an analogy to fishing and, and going into your tackle box mm-hmm. uh, and how you do this, you know, and what the defense is doing in terms of just trying every imaginable uh, trick in the book to see if anything sticks, right? And I'm going on best now. I grew up in the Bronx, New York in an apartment building. I'd never been fishing in my life. And some <laughs> juror afterwards, and we won the trial, right? Yeah. We got a good verdict. Some juror afterwards came up to me and says, you know, I got to talk to you about that fishing thing. And I, you know, clearly, clearly <laughs> like, says, what you said didn't make any sense about that. And it's like, you know, dude, I have no idea what, yeah. <laughs> what would make sense when it comes to talking about fishing. Well, that's not well, my thing. Or, but, but the lesson I learned was, be genuine and yeah. stick to what you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, because the odds are when you try to do that, you're going to have an aficionado on the jury right. of whatever right. little analogy. You, tr- you know, I don't quote the Bible. What a little bit of hobby. I, I respect the Bible, but I don't quote the Bible because I don't know Ezekiel from Abraham. I mean, I'll screw it up. Somebody and there's going to be at least one juror in the South that is really knows their Bible Absolutely. or both versions. Yeah. I think there's two. I'm yeah. trying not to be blasphemous, <laughs> yeah, right. but I don't know, so I don't do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I quote Lincoln. That's a good yeah. one. He's, yeah. Then everybody kind of knows it, yeah, but you got to be careful. Yeah, you do. That's so interesting, and I've, I could uh, totally understand that. All right, this is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice, Tug Cowart here on Extra 106.3. When we get back, social media. Since we talked about it a little earlier, we'll, we'll jump back into social media because there's a trend from this, uh, this, uh, this social media platform called TikTok that's getting some kids in trouble, but how much trouble? And that's what I want to get answered next on Your Day in Court. 
The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President Stacy Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back. This is the final segment of your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. I wanted to jump into something. This is a social media platform called TikTok, and there's all kinds of new challenges that are popping up. And this is it hits home for me because my son loves TikTok, just like all of his buddies. But there's a couple things that are happening specifically with the younger kids that are on TikTok and their bathroom challenges where kids are going in, destroying public property or government property in the bathroom, stealing uh, soap dispensers. One of the kids that were charged with, with I, I would assume, theft or uh, had the disp- soap dispenser, had the soap dispenser that he had taken off the wall in the bathroom in his backpack. So he's a young kid. So there's that. And then the one that gets worse is one that is a challenge where you go up and slap the teacher on the behind. And there are have been calls for these kids to be charged with a sexual assault. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this seems so overwhelming. I do believe in, you know, punishing and even a stern punishment. But sexual assault seems like something that these kids can't even wrap their head around. Um, how do you guys see this playing out? What, what, what is it that, that I'm missing or that I have right? I see it as being a different issue if it involves a 10-year-old versus a 17-year-old, first of all. Correct. Um, But, you know, certainly the concept of um, media and social media influencing behavior of children is something that has been going on and talked about for a long time. You know, we've heard all these stories about folks suing manufacturers of video games over Mm -hmm. gun violence or or road rage and car violence. Mm -hmm. Um, Ray brought up, you know, people wanting to claim that listening to Black Sabbath or, uh, you you know, whatever kind of horrible music compels them to do terrible things. So so from that standpoint, it's really nothing new, but, um, and and it also links back to what we talked about earlier, which was the testimony on Capitol Hill this week from the so-called whistleblower from Facebook, that one of the things that these social media giants know is that um, kids can be very seriously influenced by the information that's being put out on these platforms. So does it expose TikTok to some potential liability? I think so. I think there'll be lawsuits um, certainly brought there. Should the kids be criminally charged for something like that? Well, I I think it's going to have to be looked at on a case-by-case basis. At a certain age, you know the difference between right right and wrong. wrong. No question. And and you you know that vandalism is wrong. You know that striking another human being is wrong. You know that putting dish soap on the floor of a uh, store like a Walmart or a Target is dangerous and somebody's going to come along and slip on it. And it might produce a funny video, but you also might crack somebody's skull open. That's you know? right. So yeah. there's going to have to be an accountability for a kid's behavior. And whether that's through the criminal system or not, we'll see. But certainly it'll it'll come back to the social media companies for promoting and allowing this sort of behavior. It's an interesting concept as to planting the idea of committing a crime. There's cases where people have been charged for encouraging through the use of social media, another person to commit suicide. That's there's, right. There's I've several prosecutions yeah. on that. Uh, however, the social media platform did not have any civil liability. 
now, again, there's ethical liability, and there's corporate responsibility, and there's shareholder value. I mean, I looked at it just a few minutes ago. Facebook's stock is up today. They mm-hmm. took allegedly took a beating earlier this week by Senator Blumenthal and his team of idiots. Uh, but you know what? The shareholders just like, hey, we're just making money. It's It's got 20% top-line profits every year. And, okay, so there may be some casualties. I mean, that's that's a shareholder issue, too. I mean, everybody can buy a share of stock, you know, and go to the corporate meetings and get up to that microphone with your minute and a half and say, I think you're wrong for doing this. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways. Some of this is maybe parental responsibility. Are you folks sure. paying attention to what your kids are doing? I mean, yeah. I, you know, it's— I, it, uh, So the only thing, as a, as a dad of a young kid that is on social media, I don't know how. I physically don't know how sure. to catch up on sure. on on some of the things that he's doing. Like like for for, for Instagram, the criminals I, stay ahead of them for as long. No kidding. And there are no two steps, kidding. as yeah, I said the kids, earlier. The man. kids are smarter than the parents. They totally and, are. And you can, you know, I'm going to take away your phone. Okay, sure. yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. find some other way the, to, to it, do this. It's, it's amazing, but I, I want to go back to your point too about knowing the difference because in the cases where it's you know, vandalizing bathrooms, they're like 10 year old kids It's you know, middle school and younger. I don't, I don't believe I've seen anything with, with older kids as far as that or slapping teachers on the behind, but that's the, that was the concern that I had is you're going to charge a 10 year old that just doesn't have the life experience or the understanding of really what's happening to do that. Not that the punishment shouldn't I, I, be. I, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. I, and yeah, please. I didn't have children. Okay. If your 10 year old hasn't been punished or scolded, or taught that they can't hit another person, then then it's your fault. That's okay. a you issue, a parent yeah. issue. Yeah. Because at some point in time, little Johnny and his next door neighbor buddy, when they were seven, started to commence to wrestle. Yeah, right. And then it Open got violent. And they were trained then. They, they I, I disagree with that. I'm, so, I grew up in an Italian house, uh-huh. and if you did something like that, there would be you'd be sl- <laughs> you'd get hit for <laughs> right, exactly. You, you, <laughs> you'd, take, you'd get hit in the back of the head. Yeah. Uh, but but you know. And, and to your point, certainly there there is a level of responsibility that, mm-hmm. it, and it's a sliding scale when it comes to kids, um, you, you know. And certainly, parenting is an issue here of, of reinforcing that. But here's an example where there has been civil liability against some of the social media platforms, and it has to do with Snapchat. Snapchat had a filter out there that um, was basically just a way to. Um, see how fast can you drive in your car while you're Snapchatting, mm-hmm. and 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 that challenge, that filter, knowingly encourages young drivers, in particular, because who's on Snapchat? Mainly young people to drive as fast as they possibly can and record it on their cell phones as mm-hmm. they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So you're you're encouraging an illegal activity of super speeding. And a, compounding it with another illegal activity of film yourself with your cell your phone, phone, which is illegal in pretty much every state. And if there's an accident, you so now it, people right. got killed, right? And didn't just sue the driver because presumably the driver is going to have a limited amount of insurance coverage. It's not Arthur Blank driving the car right. Right. at 125 miles an hour. Again, Arthur, stop. Ar- Ar- well, yeah. Arthur, you, know, you got one mulligan, Arthur. Yeah, and you it out. No, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not the super wealthy, right? So the families of these kids who were killed or the people who were killed here sued Snapchat. And uh, very recently, from a Georgia case, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals have said, yes, these lawsuits are valid and can go forward. They're not ruling on the merits of it. They're just saying that you've created and presented a valid claim that meets the standards for a legal case to go forward, mm-hmm. and now we'll let a jury make the decision on what's going to happen. But then again, that's a civil lawsuit involving the allegation of negligence, not a criminal conspiracy. In mm-hmm. other words, I committed the crime of racing at 120 miles an hour and the reckless driving and maybe the vehicle homicide or serious bodily injury by vehicle. Those are serious crimes, but Snapchat is not a co-defendant in the criminal case. Right. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. All right. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Always great discussion. And I feel like we uncover so much. And, and anytime you talk about legal issues, it's so interesting because so few people really understand the law. They watch a lot of TV and watch a lot of news. They think they understand the law, but truly they do not. So if somebody is in need of legal help, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, look, Ray and I have been getting our hands dirty, trying cases for more than 30 years each, and and, uh, we learned a thing or two during the course of doing all that. It's not just all about telling funny stories of our uh, clients and some of their uh, goofy things they've done over the years, (laughs) uh, or goofy things we've done over the years and figured it out. But uh, yeah, you know, you can get hold of me anytime, 404-522-7553, Bruce Hagen, H-A-G-E-N, 
hagen-law.com is the website. You can email me, bruce, at hagen-law.com. I'll respond right away. Uh, happy to talk to any of our listeners, just like uh, we helped the one lady who called this week because she That's heard right. us uh, last week talking about, talking about Will. wills. This week, maybe someone calls, hey, I heard you talking about Snapchat. Yeah, seriously, yeah. my kid. Yeah, I can hear it now. <laughs> uh, right? 404-964-4185. That's the cell number. Hey, one of the things about having a lot of experience in trials and going to court is knowing when not to go to court. As uh, Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. And as when I when I was a young lawyer, man, I loved picking juries, jury after jury after jury. As I get older, I still love doing it, but I have think a little better sense of hey, you know what? We instead of aces and queens here, we've got a pair of nines and a pair of twos. Not a, we're in a game. Yeah, we're in a game. Yeah, but maybe this one needs to be settled and this one needs to be pled down. Uh, Life experience. Yeah. Well, you also learn that as charming and as intelligent and as convincing as I believe I am. Handsome, too. I've had some have... juries not agree with me, and I, <laughs> I'm still surprised. Yeah, you right. know? <laughs> so so that's part of what How we don't. be so dumb? I talk some folks out of going to trial. Okay. This is, uh, and, and I talk some folks into going to trial, but that's what experience gives you. And no doubt about it. If you need their help, please call them. They can guide you down the right path. For Bruce and Ray, my name is Tug Cowart. This is Extra 106.3, and you're listening to Your Day in Court. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. 